Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Not about out there, but it was pretty warm up up here. Uh, we've been wanting to teach you that song, that last one, for a while. Uh, it's by Laura Hackett, if you might want to find that on iTunes or, or anything. And she's got another one that uh, is, is equally good that uh, we want to teach you as well. And the name of that one is You Satisfy My Soul. And uh, <clears throat> we we got to see her do those songs a few weeks ago in Kansas City and with about 30,000 other people. Uh, was really over the top to worship with 30,000 mostly young people. There's there's hope. <laughs> there there is hope for for our nation. I'll I'll tell you. We know that God holds the trump card. He actually holds all the cards. Um <clears throat> and he can play any one of them that he wants to at any time and have the response that he desires because he is just that wise and and that that good so uh there there are a lot of things that are kind of rolling around in my spirit right now for this morning and I'm just going to seek the lord where where to go from here so Lord, we, we just thank you for blessing us with your presence. It's, it's our desire to minister to you in worship. And I, I pray you would teach us uh, more of what that means, what that looks like for us in Cheyenne, Wyoming in 2014. And uh, Jesus, you are the head of the church. So we just uh, want to see happen today what is on your heart. So, so do that, if you would, for the glory of your name. Amen. So, you know, I've, I've been, well, that's, that's where that chart was, it was an A. <laughs> I had, uh, I've got way too many notes today, it's, it's scary how many notes I have today. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you this, I, this I know, we, we're in a new season and 
when, when you're in a new season and in a new place, the things that worked in the old season and the old place, they probably aren't going to work anymore. At least they're not going to work in the same way that they worked before. Because when there's a new season and God's doing a new thing, you, you want to join him in that new thing. And a few weeks ago, uh, the Lord began to put on my heart, as, as we had looked at the Father heart of God for a few weeks, in, in what I guess I would consider the last message of, of that series, we, we looked at how Moses was, other than Jesus, obviously, Moses was... Uh, maybe our best example of of the father heart of god in scripture because how number 1 he was the most humble man on the earth the bible tells us and also every time people came against him if they came against his leadership if they just complained about his leadership they they complained about how life was they challenged his leadership and wanted to be leaders either with him or maybe even replace him. It, it didn't matter. He, he always fell on his face before the Lord and he asked for mercy for those people. And, and, and for, for us, if, if, if we want to begin to live with the heart of God being displayed in us, that, that is what life looks like. When, when people come against us, when they persecute us, they criticize us, they rebel against us, what, whatever it is, we, we love them with the love of God and and we cry out for mercy for them. So it, it was as we began to consider what, what that looked like that I, I felt the Lord calling us, and, and I wasn't alone in this, uh, that if, if we really want to have the heart of God for our generation for our city that we should cry out to the Lord for mercy for the church in our city and, and for our city because we're, we're responsible for our city we're, we're responsible for the spiritual condition of our city we're, we're responsible for the spiritual condition of the church in our city not just our own little fellowship. But there's, see, when God looks at the church in Cheyenne, he, he doesn't see a bunch of separate bodies that meet on Sunday mornings. He, he sees the people that he's called out and placed his spirit within. One group. And, and we're not all here. We're, we're not all in one place. In fact, there are those people in a lot of different places this morning. 
And there were probably some in a church building yesterday. So, as, as the Lord began to unfold this, this idea, the, the thing that came to my mind is a solemn assembly. That this, this is bigger than you and I privately repenting on behalf of ourselves before the Lord. Although that needs to happen as well. But if, if the Lord is, is calling us, and, and, and probably not just us, I, I think there, there will be some segment of the larger body of Christ in, involved in this if this is actually something that the Lord is doing. And I, I got to talk to a couple other pastors this week about this. And I will be talking to others in, in the near future. And there it's 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 hitting a chord with with others as well. So you know last week we we looked at the prophet Joel and, and what he was saying. What what I would like to do today is talk a little bit about what a solemn assembly is uh, and show us some examples of that from, from Scripture and, and maybe more recently. Because <clears throat> the solemn assembly, which is a, a corporate uh, repentance, a corporate time of repentance, is, is something that has gone on from the nation Israel uh, all the way to now. It, it has continued to happen. And so last week we looked at how Prophet Joel three times in, in his short book calls the people to a time of fasting and, and repentance, which, and depending on the translation you're reading, at least once he, he says, call a solemn assembly. And, and that's what he's talking about. So, the, the goal of, of a solemn assembly, uh, sometimes the, the goals can... Uh, they don't have to be just one thing. Sometimes they're, they're a little different depending on who's involved in, in the solemn assembly. But in, in the Old Testament examples, we, we see the nation of Israel uh, having fallen away from faithfulness and true worship of the true and living God into idolatry. And the, the problem with their falling away is to, to the untrained observer, it, 
it may not have even looked like they had fallen away and unless they happened to see the people sneaking up to the high places and worshiping Baal. Because, see, the, the really insidious thing about the idolatry of the nation Israel is that it's not like they quit worshiping God and they started worshiping Baal, because that would have been clear, right? No, they, they kept worshiping God, and they worshiped Baal. Because, you know, they, they wanted to have all their bases covered, just, just in case. Well, you, you can read many of the prophets of, of the Old Testament, and, and see just what the Lord thought of their worship of him while they were actively worshiping other gods. And you can imagine that he was not very pleased with their worship of him while they were worshiping other gods. Right? Well... We, we don't have idols of stone and wood that have been carved uh, and clay and, and things like that that we bow down and, and pray to and worship to. But that doesn't mean we don't have idolatry. And see, we're, we're on this 21-day Daniel fast together. And, you know, all, all leaders can ever do with something like a fast is invite people to participate. Uh, we're, we're not going to your house to see what you're eating for dinner every day. But one of the benefits of fasting is self-awareness. Uh, the, the Lord can reveal things when, when we're in a time of special consecration to him that, that we can miss in normal times. And that's, that's one of the, the benefits of fasting. So, you know, one of my prayers for all of us in, in this fast is that the Lord would show us those things that are idols, in, in our lives. Where, where do you go for comfort? When, is it the Lord? Or is it something else? When, when you're upset and things are not going your way, uh, what what do you do? Do do you go to the Lord? Uh, you know we 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 have to consider and we have to see the the reality of of what's going on in in our lives. And so, you know the the idea of a solemn assembly and like I said we're we're going to look at some but but our. Our primary goal, I think the Lord's primary goal in solemn assemblies in general is 
what Phyllis was talking about. Uh, that that we, we no longer be lukewarm, that we be hot. That we, we get the issues that are between us and the Lord dealt with. We get issues between each other dealt with. And we, uh, we race the, the whole chalkboard <laughs> and, and we, we start with a clean slate. And, and this is what happened in the Old Testament when they would have solemn assemblies. And, and there's, there's a general process that, that happened prior to these solemn assemblies. There, there would be a falling away of, of the people of God. Uh, no longer trusting in the Lord, no longer truly, faithfully worshiping Him. Uh, really just could be going about their lives without Him to the other extreme of being completely devoted to false gods and, and their worship. And so you, you have that kind of a situation. And, and we've, we've talked about how we, we are facing such a situation in, in the church in, in America and in America. Then uh, there is, there's many times a, a warning given by the Lord. There, there, there is a, a lifting of his hand of protection and boom, uh, the enemy comes in and, and does something that everybody knows about. And, and those who are connected to the Lord see that this, oh, oh, uh oh, this, this is a warning from the Lord. And then he raises up a leader or, or leaders with a burden to see people restored to God. And so many of those have happened. Uh, one of the first was, was under the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 7. And I'm, I'm only going to look at maybe a, a couple of these. Uh, there was a revival under David in 2 Samuel 6 and 7. There was a revival under Asa in 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. There was a revival under Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17 through 20. Uh, a revival under Jehoiada in 2 Chronicles 23 and 24. There was a revival under Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29 to 32. And to me, that one, the, the one under Hezekiah, is, is one of the best examples. Um, 
I'll give you a little bit of background on that one. Uh, his father Ahaz, it says in Second Chronicles 28, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And uh, Ahaz's father Jotham and his father Uzziah uh, had hearts that were partially for the Lord. They, they didn't wildly take Israel in the direction of worshiping Baal, but they, they didn't try to remedy the situation that was going on. And I, I kind of I want to read you one verse, I think, from Second Chronicles 27. Because this, this kind of says what it's like when you have a leader who, who is pretty good, but his heart isn't fully devoted to the Lord. And in Second uh, Chronicles 27, verse, verse 2, it says, and, and this is about uh, Jotham who was Hezekiah's grandfather. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord, and the people still followed their corrupt practices. He, he didn't enter the temple of the Lord. So there was something wrong going on there. And, and he, he was content to, to leave the people in their corrupt state. So by the time Hezekiah becomes king, things, things are not good. So we'll, we'll read a little bit about this, starting in Second Chronicles 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. And that is a good king when they did all that their father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them because they were in disrepair. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of our fathers and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel." 
Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror and astonishment and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent for the Lord. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. So the Levites, they, they cleaned out the temple and they, they restored worship in the temple. And Hezekiah called all of Israel to come. And, you know, not everybody came. I'm, I'm sure there were some people who said, nah, we'll, we'll just tell me how it goes. I'm... I'm busy plowing, I'm, I'm busy whatever. And, and that's, that's the way it is with, with a solemn assembly. Not, not everybody comes. But the people come who the Lord wants to restore. And, and this is what happened with, with Hezekiah. And, and we see they, they made, again, uh, huge offerings to the Lord. Seventy bulls, one hundred rams, two hundred lambs for a burnt offering. And the consecrated offerings were six hundred bulls and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. And then it says, And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had prepared for the people for the prepared the people for the thing that came about suddenly. And then they celebrated the Passover together. And in their crying out to the Lord for the nation to be restored and in turning their hearts together in a united way to the Lord, there was restoration. For Israel. Start and in uh, chapter thirty, starting in in verse eighteen. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. And see, these these are people from Israel who are coming to Judah to participate in the solemn assembly because there were still 
a remnant in Israel of people who were faithful. But these people had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover. Otherwise than as prescribed for. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of the Lord. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. They, they had become hot for the Lord again. And the Levites, they, they were not just doing the, the ministry of sacrifices. The Hezekiah reinstituted the whole... Uh, tabernacle of David worship model. And so the Levites were singing and playing instruments and worshiping the Lord as, as all this is going on. It says, with, with all their might. So they kept the feast for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly another thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offerings, and the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep, and the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. And that's something that we looked at last week was <clears throat> the celebration that Solomon had and, and the huge offering that Solomon gave at the dedication of the temple. And we, we looked at that when we were putting Second Chronicles 7.14 in, in its context. And what we have right here that we just looked at is, is we have a king, the leader of the nation, doing exactly what Solomon prayed in Second Chronicles 6 and exactly what the Lord said to do in Second Chronicles 7.14. The people, they came together. They humbled themselves. They consecrated themselves. They set themselves apart to be dedicated to the Lord for this time. And they prayed. And they turned from their sin. And the Lord healed their land. He heard their prayers. 
He forgave their sins and, and he healed their land. So <clears throat> there, there, there are plenty of other examples of solemn assemblies in, in, in the Old Testament. But you, you might wonder, uh, what about the New Testament? You know, there, there are people who, who say, well, we're, we're under the New Covenant. We're, we're under the covenant of grace that, you know, that, that really doesn't apply to us anymore because that was, that was under the Old Covenant and in, in the Old Testament. Well, I think you can look at the book of Acts and the 120 who kind of sealed themselves off in the upper room for this 40 days of, of prayer. Uh, you know, you, you can argue whether or not they were fasting for those 40 days. It, it doesn't specifically say that they were, but it wouldn't surprise me that, that they were. But after they had spent 40 days together in, in united prayer, it says they were they were united. They they were of one heart. They were of one spirit. And then, God poured out the Holy Spirit upon them. <clears throat> I I could read you just a little bit from Acts chapter one starting in verse 12. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, this is right after Jesus ascended for the last time into heaven. And a couple angels showed up and because the guys are still kind of trying to get a glimpse of, is he coming back? And, and the angels, just before this, remember they say, well, men of Galilee, what, why do you stand here looking up in the sky? <laughs> Jesus has, has gone. He's, he's ascended to heaven, but he's going to come back in the same manner that he left. And then this, this is where we're, we're picking up the story. So they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And then skipping forward to chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them as tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And skipping forward to verse 37, after Peter, after they go out and into the crowd and Peter gives the first gospel message, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And th this has, has been the model for revivals throughout the centuries ever since. God raises up a, a small group of people to cry out to him who in a sense, grab a hold of him and, and say, we're, we're not letting go until you do something. And I, I can imagine the fervency of prayer for these 120. They, they were afraid. Jesus had just been crucified. He, he had been with them. For, for 10 days, off and on, here and there, and, and now he's gone. And according to the angels, it doesn't look like he's coming back right away. So they don't know what to do. They, and and that, that's a really good place to be. If you don't know what to do, you know what to do. Cry out to the Lord and get somebody crying out to the Lord with you. And that's exactly what they did. And, and we see what happened. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire came upon the 120. And, you know, in whatever time it took for Peter to give that message... 3,000 people were cut to the heart and said, what, what can we do? And, and they came into the kingdom. Boom. So they, I, I mean, God had the solution to, to their fear and their not knowing what to do because they, they went from just being this united group that had been personally taught by Jesus for three and a half years to a church of 3,000. And so they had plenty to do. So I, I consider that an example of a solemn assembly in the New Testament. And if, if that's not good enough for you, I, I challenge you to read Revelation chapters 2 and 3 where seven, seven different churches there, there's a letter to each of seven different churches five of them have a serious issue or issues that the Lord has to call them to repentance of and many Bible teachers, um, 
myself included, see the seven churches as, as a, a broad brush chronological history of the church from the apostolic age to where we are now. But yet at every time in history, there have been churches with, with each of the issues raised for each of the seven churches. And, but right now, if, if that broad brush chronological view is correct, we're, we're in the age of the church of Laodicea. And this is the Lord's words to the church in Laodicea, starting in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed." and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Only a zealous people will participate in a solemn assembly. Uh, you can still be somewhat lukewarm when you come, but you won't be when you leave. Because it is your zeal for the Lord that will bring you there. And and that's that's what was needed. This some of those words were in that song, Light the Fire Again, if you notice that. So, um, I, I have a letter to read. I get letters once in a while. Sometimes they're not... <laughs> they're not sometimes they're not like this and I don't keep those letters uh, but this this letter um, may be the most encouraging letter that I've ever received because the the Lord is is working in in our city he's he's working in in our midst and i actually got two letters one was to me and i'm not going to read you that one 
but this one is to the church. In fact, he, he wrote me this letter from jail. But he asked me if I would read it. And what happened in the jail is exactly what needs to happen to the church. Because he, he saw where he was at spiritually. And God came and did something because he was crying out to the Lord. And I, I tried to go visit on Friday, but uh, he wasn't available for a visit. I, I can't wait to see him. And, and hug him because he, he is a new man and you, you will see this. But this, this is what happens in a solemn assembly to a large number of people. It, it can happen without a solemn assembly when we have individuals who are crying out to the Lord. So I'm going to try to make it through this. Joy, you can rescue me if I start sobbing uncontrollably. Letter to the church. Well, God is surely alive in this church. Just this morning, I was saying to God, you know, I have no one. Where is the church you speak of that visit the sick who are in hospitals and the ones who visit those prisoners in prison. Where are they? I asked this morning. And glory to God, this afternoon, Pastor Randy shows up here with the best thing I've heard in weeks. You are not here alone. And <clears throat> I knew at that moment that God was here with his hands on me, saying, any more questions? I tried to rush back to my cell because I didn't want anyone to see my tears. But it was all too much. The spirit that carried me was not going to allow fear and shame to hold back the joy God placed inside of me through that visit today with Pastor Randy. That tough, hard guy that people here know and respect now sings a new song. It's been about four hours since that visit, and over half the people in this block want to know who was my visit with and what is going on with me. Did someone die or something? Well, I've thought about that question. And when we get back out tonight, I think I'll tell them, yeah, somebody did die. Me. The me that only believed in himself and trusted no one fully. I know, I knew I could only truly depend on me when it came to me and my life. But today, that person in me has passed on. 
and been replaced by a spirit that only God can deliver. A new, and I pray, (laughs) can deliver a new. And I pray that he stays a very long time because right now I feel like never before. Kind of like the wind in God's hand and I don't have to worry anymore. Everything feels all right with me and in me. God has spoken to me many times through different avenues and sometimes I listen but most of the time I didn't. Well, not only will I listen to him, but I'm giving God, no, begging him to take full control of me. And I ask you that you would pray the same for me. I ask that you pray for me to be bold in my stand for the Lord that he give me the courage to speak up and out at the right time in his name. And pray that he stay with me as he is at this very moment. That he will always be in my thoughts and that every word I speak from this point on be words that will make him proud. Pray that he leads me in everything, all capital letters, I do. I ask you for these prayers because I know he hears and answers the call of Cheyenne Vineyard Church. I thank you all. Or I thank you. All of this was made possible through the unconditional love you all have shown me and my family these last couple years. And may God continue to bless this church family as we go forward spreading that awesome love. (laughs) Last, I would like to ask if there is someone that has a red-letter Bible that can be sent in to me. I use the red letter one because it shows exactly when God is speaking. Again, I thank you. My family thanks you. And I know God thanks you also. Good night, church. Lord, I I pray for us that you would bless us with your heart for people even more, that you would bless us with the ability to love as you love. Lord, that you would prepare us for the harvest and that we would walk in the steps that you've ordered for each of us. for your glory and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's, there's just one, one more little passage I wanted to close with.
today if I can find it. I told you I had way too many notes up here. <clears throat> well, I'll just find it in here. It's Zephaniah chap chapter 3, just before the verse that's familiar to most of us. So the Lord is, is talking about restoring Israel in Zephaniah chapter 3. We know 17, but verse 18 is the one. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. And another, another version says, The report, reproach of the Lord is a burden to them. Does the condition of the name of the Lord in our nation create a burden for you? I, I pray for us and, and I pray for the church in Cheyenne that, that the name of the Lord, the condition of the name of the Lord would become a burden to us that, that motivates us that the desire of our heart would be that everything we do, everything we say, the Lord would be proud of us. So that, that is my prayer for us today. Lord, restore the glory of your name in our day. Renew your deeds. And in wrath, remember mercy. In Jesus' name.